Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus, the leading podcast focused on transformation and change in the higher education space. On today's episode, we speak with Jen Chambers, who is Associate Vice Provost for Learning Innovation at Duke University. Jen and podcast host Amrita Lawalia discuss the need for finding more active and creative new ways to engage adult learners and the resources required to get there. Jen Chambers, welcome to the Illumination Podcast. Great to be chatting with you. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, let's uh, let's sort of start talking a little bit about the broad change that, that we're seeing in the in, in the marketplace that we're seeing across our industry. We're seeing more and more colleges and universities trying to find ways to serve adult learners. Why is the higher education space becoming so active and so creative in finding ways to better serve and support this this population of adults? Uh, you know, I think probably the the easy and superficial answer is that people would go, oh, everybody wants to make more money, right? And and obviously this is an area where it's a new new audience for them. They can expand their um, their reach and just bring in some new revenue for the institution. That may be true for a lot of places, but I think it gets to a um, there's the opportunity for a lot more engagement and a deeper sort of probe into that um, that area. And you know, when you think about institutions. Are, are members of the community, right? They they are these big things that that exist within um, within a, a region, and they have the opportunity to make significant impact in their region, right? So if you want to to look at the learner as the workforce, you want the workforce to be educated. You want them to know what's going on so that the community thrives. So being able to provide those educational resources to the community. Um, one, they're a well-respected brand, hopefully, or, or familiar brand in their area. And so why wouldn't the people that live in the community look to that as a resource for them to, to find educational opportunities? So I think that's that's one one great reason for institutions to be looking at this. Um, this. I think the need is also really high. Mm-hmm. Um, the job markets are constantly changing. People um, have gone into professions that no longer exist. Um, and then there's also just the the health and wellness of an individual and being engaged in a community of learners helps you um, thrive, right? The individual thrive. So, uh, you know, if you want to look at it from that perspective is like, what can the university give to the community in sort of an altruistic um, aspect? That's also worth, um, you know, the the investment of time and energy from the university standpoint. Um, And certainly the demand is there, right? People are realizing they're not, they're not ready for whatever they would like to do next. And so, turning to an institution of um, that provides education is certainly a, a good place to do that. You can get a lot of this on YouTube, but you don't want to put YouTube on your resume. So how do you, right? So how do you, uh, yeah. how do you sort of get the learner what they need in a way that's going to positively impact their life? And certainly institutions are set up to be able to do that. Absolutely. So, I mean, how are you seeing this shift towards serving adults influencing the way that universities are maintaining their relationships with alumni? Yeah, so uh, I actually have a relatively new role at Duke um, that has shifted in the last six months. I now um, both oversee the alumni education that we do for the Duke alumni population, and that's all alumni across Duke. Um, and then uh, recently I, I took on a role in the provost office overseeing the continuing studies, the adult education side of the continuing studies, which is the more broad, um, broadly uh reaching programs that we offer. So the nonprofit management certificate, professional development certificates, and then our OLLI program. Um, and I think from an, a from a standpoint of like the alumni engagement, right? The alumni already have the the affinity, hopefully, for the institution if you did your job right. Uh, <laughs> and uh and and they have the brand awareness. 
And keeping people, keeping the alums re-engaged with the institution just continues that commitment that you made to them as they were students, right? So being able to bring them in, educate them for whatever degree, master's, undergraduate, what have you, and then promise, make the promise that you can continue to support them um, for whatever their educational needs are as they continue to evolve is a great way to keep people engaged. And we know that on the alumni side, the more engaged you have, the more likely they are to be donors, to give back to the campus as, as experts, as mentors. Um, so it really just keep, keeps that relationship going. And that's you know certainly a worthwhile investment. But I think the flip side of that, at least um, from, from Duke's perspective, is, is valuable as well. So we have this continuing studies element in, in that department um, over in the provost office. And being able to take those resources and also shift them to the alumni audience and make sure they're aware of the programs that are being offered out of a unit that may not have even existed when they were students. Uh, so for us, it's 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 sort of cross-pollinating the educational opportunities that we have for alums, um, but doubling down on, on the commitment that you've made to your um, already existing students or your, your soon-to-be um, alumni is, is certainly a worthwhile investment. You know it's so it's so interesting as as you you know and and we're going to talk a little bit more about some some of the tactics that you guys are leveraging but it strikes me that this is where the university maintaining a relationship with their alumni that's learning based is is a more meaningful way to engage that audience over time I mean it, it's it really is a one way relationship once an individual in in general once an individual graduates from a post secondary institution the individual constantly giving back to the institution. There's very little give and take, I suppose, on the part of right. the institution in, in terms of the relationship they're maintaining with past learners. How are you and the team at Duke working to create a learning environment that's that's really designed to serve and engage non-traditional learners? Because like as we know, that that does take a different approach. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I think um, I think where some institutions fail is they try to treat non-traditional learners like traditional learners and they have different needs and and their time is, you know, is differently allocated and what resources they have access to is, is different. So um, what we've been doing at Duke is one, reaching across the different schools and units to make sure that uh, alumni are aware of all of the different professional development uh, or continuing education programs that are available. Um, and that is, so the, the shop that I work out of at Alumni Engagement and Development is the central umbrella. The law school only has access to the law alum. Well, you may have come to Duke as an undergrad and then gone someplace else to get a law degree, but the programming that's coming out of the Duke Law School may still be a valuable resource for you, regardless of which school you graduated from you know, at Duke. And so trying to make those opportunities more um, more accessible and and have the population be aware of those opportunities is part of what uh, I've been really charged with and what my team works on is sort of creating those partnerships. Um, but it's also about making sure we're not just, I was using this metaphor in a meeting earlier, you know, when you've gone to a potluck and somebody's gone to the grocery store and bought something and then taken it home and just dropped it into their own casserole dish, they bring it and they present it as theirs. It's that white labeling of a vendor's product that you can offer from your institution, but that's not really true to the institutional brand. And so some of the stuff that we've been working on more recently is how do we take those um, vendor products, which can be high quality products, and then add a little bit of the Duke flavor to it. So are we adding faculty experts as a special extra credit type of experience? Or can we um, can we help resource talent to teach these classes or to teach add-ons to the, to the vendor product? 
um, to just keep things within the brand and the identity of Duke and make sure that we're also elevating some of the voices that we have at the institution already into a broader population. So um, does that sort of get to your to your question? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that's where it's starting. It's not about just making something available. It's about making something available and then ensuring that it's tailored and suited and strategically aligned so that you're serving these learners in a, in a, in a very cohesive way over a longer period of time. Um, and I, that might be where the rubber doesn't hit the road, um, whatever, the, whatever that expression is. Yeah, yeah. Because that, you know, you, we tend to see these offerings as, as a great idea, but then once, once it comes to actually sitting down and figuring out how do we execute, you know, I, I think a lot of the feedback that I tend to hear from other continuing ed leaders is, you know, an inability to create a partnership with alumni affairs. So there's even just finding the list of alumni is challenging and then keeping that list up to date. So knowing what individuals uh, what career path individuals took and how the continuing ed division of the university might continue to support them. I mean, uh, these are some of the common obstacles. How have you guys addressed these obstacles or, or how are you working to address them anyway? Um, it, you know, partnership is is key. You've got to have not just the internal institutional partnerships, but also the partnerships in the community and access to those resources. Like we have a, a team that does the market research. So instead of me going to a school and saying, hey, I think you should do this program because I think it's important, I can actually say to them, this is what the market says people need. And can you then provide that product or that that you know that educational resource to either the alumni body, to the current student body? Like, how are we going to sort of deliver on that need for a variety of different learners and sort of meet them where their needs happen to be at that moment? Um, but I think you know, for Duke, we're we're in the RTP area. There's lots of industry that is based out of here. And I think that's also where the opportunity um, for the university is to really make a statement is look at the industries in your area and try to also help the folks that are in those industries with the educational output that you can create, right? And have access to those um, those experts in those fields to make sure that the industries continue to thrive. But it truly, it comes down to partnership. And it's not paid partnership, right? It really does come down to building relationships with people, understanding the community that you live in, understanding what resources the university can contribute to the conversation, and do it also in an affordable, accessible way. Um, we can't do this work and outprice the the communities that that we live in, right? Um, so it's it's really important for people to have their pulse on the community, not just where they work if they're in an institution, but also the community their institution is housed in. So how do you see the role of continuing ed divisions writ large start to evolve as, I guess, the market shift towards this environment where, you know, it's not just about serving individuals for this very specific period of time right at the start of their careers, right at the start of their lives, really, and instead, you know, positioning the universities as a true lifelong learning partner? Yeah, I think one major challenge I've seen, or you know, I talked to peers, and this is the same challenge that that we've had at the past in the past at Duke is continuing studies has often been treated like a hobby project for an institution. <laughs> yeah, right. It's the thing you you have when you have time for you go and do that, and um, and I think we need to stop using non traditional and traditional as how we think of students. Right. These are all students regardless of where they're in their lifespan and, and their needs, they're all students. And 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 when you classify something as non-traditional, you automatically make them othered. 
Yep. And you can't support groups if you constantly think of them as others appropriately, right? So if you can, um, if I think part of what the, the institutions need to do is really consider, are they going to invest in the resources for the continuing studies departments, programs, units, um, in the same way that they do their other schools and departments? Because if you're not going to do it well, you're sort of doing a disservice to the community because you're not treating them as regular students. You're, you're treating them like hobbyists. And that's not what the learner is, right? These, these folks need to have um, competent instructors, good quality education, access to those resources. And a lot of that also comes down to technology and making sure systems in the university speak to one another. That has probably been the biggest um, complaint that I have heard across Duke, across other institutions. It's that we want to be able to do this, but we can't get the systems to talk to one another because no investment has been made in the continuing studies part of the, the infrastructure. So, you know, they've got an LMS that works for their traditional students and works beautifully, beautifully for that. But then you get to the non-traditional learner and they're like, oh, well, we have this Excel spreadsheet that we use to track uh, registration. Um, and there's no continuity in the in the, the learner experience either. And so they're constantly treated as new and not yeah. as returning. And that's, um, and, you know, coming in from the outside going, don't you understand? I've been here before, um, right? There's the reason that you get the frequent flyer card and, you know, people yeah. want to retain your business. And if you keep treating them every time they come in as another line item on a spreadsheet, you're going to lose that engagement as well. And so I think that's, that's a big part of what universities need to shift is just how we define the word student, how we treat them and what the services we provide to them as students and um, and sort of decide whether or not this is going to be a serious endeavor for the institution or if it, you're going to continue to treat it as a hobby and making sure people understand this is a hobby, not a not a school. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so no, I mean, I think that's fair. It's I mean, it is kind of fascinating to think about some of the standards, some of the basic components of a great customer experience that you look at in any other industry. The frequent flyer example is a great one because we are talking about asking folks to continue to trust in the post-secondary institution as a learning resource for their entire life. It's not just about you know a four-year period and then we're going to do a lot of football games and ask you for donations for, for the next 60, 70 years. We want to be a constant learning resource for this individual. But then don't really provide any value or any recognition of that individual's lifelong relationship with the institution. Um, you know, I even get frustrated when, you know, when I call the cable company and, you know, they're offering new, uh, new customers, certain discounts in order to come on, but for existing customers, like you can kind of deal with what you've got. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think anyone in our space wants to be compared to a cable company, but at a certain point, it's important to take that customer experience seriously. I mean, the, the technology plays a role in that, but then there's also a cultural and strategic component to, to that as well. Right. And staff staff access to resources and things like that. Like, you know, if you've got somebody who's working in a continuing study space and they can't, they've been dissuaded from reaching out to other schools and units because, you know, within the, the same institution, because they're not going to get the support or the respect um, from the other departments because they're seen as a hobby, right? Like they're seen as, as not, not essential to the functioning of the institution. Um, that, that also is frustrating for the staff members that work in those spaces as well. But yeah, nobody, I, we've all made that phone call where you get transferred to the third person and they're, they're like, can you verify your name and your phone number? And, 
and you just say it so fast, it becomes, you know, it becomes almost robotic. And we can't treat any student like that. We can't afford to treat students like that um, if we want to keep their business and we want to keep them um, as ambassadors also for the institutions they're studying with. If you had a bad experience, there are too many competitors in this space for a university to risk having a bad experience with particularly an alum that comes back, participates in a program. It's not the quality or the experience they expected. They're going to jump to another system that provides them with the experience that they did want. Um, and they might be willing to pay a bit more, but then you created the disconnect between the institution and the the learner who put their trust in you and you failed yeah. to follow up on that promise. So yeah, it's a- I mean, it really starts to essentialize their view of the institution through a very specific lens, right? Like they're, okay, that was really fun when I was a teenager. I guess now I have different learning needs and they're not willing to work with me. It's, it's that's a tough realization to come to. Um, yeah. I mean, to, to that end, then, you, you mentioned a few of them, but what are some of the key operational considerations that a leader needs to take into account when they're pivoting to start to serve an adult audience and, and certainly their alumni audience at scale? Uh, definitely investing in the technology, the LMS access, you know, that you might have for the, we're going to use the word traditional because that's what everybody knows, uh, right? The, tr the traditional undergraduate master student their access is often hinged on security protocols that exist for those particular types of students. We don't afford the non-traditional student the same type of access. And sometimes there's a security reason why you, you don't want to do that, but they don't have access to the registrar. They don't have access. There's no transcript. You know, there's no way for them to sort of print up something to provide to an employer that says, this is the continuing education that I've done. And that's why I need the promotion or that's why I deserve to advance. And, you know, if, if you ask a regular student, can you get a transcript, they go to a hub, print, you know, print it up and they've got exactly what they need. And we don't provide the non-traditional student with the same type of support, learner services, backup. And to your earlier point, you know, when you were a, a traditional student at many colleges, you had the, the basketball tickets and the, you know, the things that happened during homecoming and other big events that sort of create additional affinity for the institution. A lot of adult learners don't necessarily need that, but some of them do want it. And so how do you think about creating the, the cohort, the community sense for the people that are not your traditional students? You can't you can't invite people to come to certain things, but not make them feel part of the community. Um, it doesn't it doesn't work. Right. Like, yeah. can you imagine going to a store and having them say you can only shop from this one section, but the clothing won't actually fit you, won't be quite as nice, won't be at the same price point, And we're not going to do anything other than take your credit card when you walk up to the counter. It's a horrible customer experience. And we do need to look from the the end user experience on on what we provide and make sure we're actually satisfying their needs. But I'd say technology is probably the biggest one, but it is that learner services support area that is traditionally not there. You have the staff to actually execute the programs from start to finish, do the registration process. But once we're finished with the student, it's like, okay, we're done. And that doesn't that doesn't provide the student with a, any reason to come back again. Yeah. Um, you know, especially if they can't just press print and get the the certificate proof that they need to go to their employer and say, hey, I did this. I took my extra time and and provided um, pro provided myself with a benefit that's going to that's going to help out you and and my um, my tenure working in your office because I've done this professional development or, um, you know, I'm a better community member because I, I took a course on volunteer service. Right. Like. You got to do something. 
And it can't just be, please hand me your credit card. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I, you know, I think this is where it we start to do ourselves a disservice in the higher ed space by so significantly separating our work from what we tend to see in the e-commerce space or in the business world. And, you know, I, there's a quote from the, I mean, and this was from an article that we published years ago, um, but it was all about this question of whether higher ed institutions should, you know, think of their students as customers. And if they do, what does that mean for the quality of the post-secondary programming? And the quote was, it was from Heather Shakiris. Uh, at the time, she was chief student experience officer at, at UCLA, uh, uh, UCLA Extension. She's now a, a director of student affairs. But effectively, the point she made was that treating students like customers doesn't mean the customer is always right. It just means removing as many administrative barriers and bureaucratic hurdles as possible. So they can actually focus their time and energy on the thing that they're purchasing, which yep. is access to a learning experience. And that was such, it's such a critical idea when it comes to reframing how we're thinking about our role as, as post-secondary institutions, because we are selling a product, but the product is not necessarily a tangible thing that they're just going to, like, it's not the piece of paper, it's access to the opportunity to earn a piece of paper. And that, that mentality shift is so important. I think as continuing education divisions start to play this larger role, do you see the potential for a broader institution-wide shift around this philosophy or mentality in terms of customer service, or is that just going to be a bridge too far? Oh, I, I mean, I hope it's not a bridge too far. I, I think in order to be successful, um, because as I said, there's a lot of competition in this space. If universities want to, to have more than a toehold in it, they're mm -hmm. going to need to invest the same types of resources you invest in any type of customer service and satisfaction um, program. You know, you want you want the NPS at the end to say, yes, I'm a promoter of this product, not just a passive engager, right? That you want people to um, to come back being an ambassador of your program. Oh, I took this here. And, and that comes with the customer service aspect. And whether you want to call them customers or, or student support, student services, I, I prefer thinking of them not as necessarily customers, but um, but they, they are buying a product. Um, and so you can't just treat them like... Uh, one-offs, right? You, you need to have, hopefully your goal is to get them to come back over and over and over again, because people have continuing learning needs and it would be better for you to retain a client than to lose a client. So why not want, you know, why, why would you want to um, have to keep sending out more marketing, get it, it just takes so much more effort. So it's worthwhile for an institution to invest in that learner services that those, you know, those uh, support roles that help the, the external user coming in, get the experience that they're seeking. Uh, Cause otherwise you actually run the risk of damaging your brand. Absolutely. And that's not going to help anybody. <laughs> no, indeed. Well, Jen, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. Now, this is the point where we pivot from being a higher ed podcast to being a food <laughs> podcast. Um, so I'm curious, if someone's in Durham, North Carolina, where do they have to go for dinner? Oh, uh, I mean, I think Durham has become such a great food scene. One of my favorite places to go is a restaurant called Taberna. 
that is a tapas restaurant. I have lots of friends who are vegan and vegetarian or have, a, you know, an assortment of dietary restrictions. And that is one of the places I can always go. Everybody gets an amazing meal. They've got a great wine list. Um, for me, I'm a big fan of the roasted dates that they stuff with goat cheese and wrap and bacon and they're mm. decadent and wonderful. And I think they only put five on the plate. So we always end up ordering two, two rounds at minimum, but a great, you know, great sort of gem downtown um, that's got nice ambiance and um, and it's an easy place to to convene with a few folks and and have a nice meal. So yeah, that would be my that'd be my love favorite. a shout out for tapas. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Jen, it's been a pleasure. Hey, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely, thank you. This podcast is made possible by a partnership between Modern Campus and the Evolution. The Modern Campus Engagement Platform powers solutions for non-traditional student management, web content management, catalog and curriculum management, student engagement and development, conversational text messaging, career pathways, and campus maps and virtual tours. The result? Innovative institutions can create learner-to-earner life cycle that engages modern learners for life, while providing modern administrators with the tools needed to streamline workflows and drive high efficiency. To learn more and to find out how to modernize your campus, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.